0: If someone take some a the-
1: poker and make it really hot and then shove it in your behind, that would be a branding problem.
0: Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take the freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, develop passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 38 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. That's me. Evan Light. I wasn't ready. Jim Gay. Hello from a standing desk. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we're going to be talking about optimizing your sales and marketing pipeline. Sounds like a mouthful. So do we want to start with the definition? What is a sales is and marketing Is this Ruby Rogues? Do we... Did I dial into the wrong place? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. There, (laughs) Uh, yeah, I would like a definition. Well, my understanding, and you guys can and probably will correct me. (laughs) um, The the sales pipeline or marketing pipeline is effectively the process that you put your prospects through from the basically from the moment that they encounter your Website or marketing message all the way up until you convert them to a sale or to a client. Is that an oversimplified or did I miss something?
1: I would say leads, not prospects. Leads. Because,
2: yeah. 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 It's basically starts at leads like, you know, this person might have come to your site as like an anonymous visitor or maybe they heard of you or something like that where it's like, oh, who's Chuck? And that's kind of where they start at. And then they go to what is it? uh sus- no actually suspects is for suspects are people that might be a good candidate for your business. then it's leads when they actually kind of contact you I remember there's also prospects it's it's hard it's muddled and it is overly complex and like enterprise level but for us I like to think of it as like you have people that might want to do business with you and it's the process of moving those people from they might want to work with you all the way to they do want to work with you or they don't want to work with you. I'm curious
3: where you got those terms, because um, I have, like, no rigor around how I do this. Um, well, and various books? <laughs> I haven't heard suspects before. That's usually, you know, uh, when the
1: police pull you over and they think you have drugs in the car. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it happens to all the time. Now.
0: If they keep coming back, then they're the us- usual suspects. Otherwise, they're just suspects. Kaiser shows
1: <laughs> Someone didn't I expect someone to say tight.
0: That's such a good movie. Anyway. So uh, what is the
3: process then? I mean, uh, like for example, I, um, have rarely gotten, at least as far as I know, I've rarely gotten leads from my site. It's often there as a validator. I think maybe people have gone there. They already know about me in some way, but they've gone there to like find my phone number. Um, so I don't really have on my site a uh, you know a contact form, at least that okay. I remember. So I've um, gotten leads from my site. I've gotten not many, but I've gotten some actually
1: some jobs from from leads from my site. I've gotten most of mine from referral, um, and I guess in trying to come up with some sort of definition still. Or, or pro or high- level process in a nutshell for me it's always reach back out to a lead as soon as possible plain and simple get them on the phone um, an email conversation is might be adequate if you're for me, at least, I'll approve. If I'm a little leery of the information provided by a lead, if I think they sound sketchy, then I might use email to keep them a little bit at arm's length um, because I'm dubious, and maybe I shouldn't even bother. Well, no, I being dubious, I think it's worthwhile if you think that the phone call is going to be a waste of your time. If you're relatively sure this lead's not going to be worth it, then, and when I say that, I'm talking about leads where it sounds 99% sure that they just want to give me equity for something. Then that that's probably not worth a phone call, um, just usually a follow-up by email. But anything that sounds like it might
3: be valuable at all, uh, I try to get them on the phone as soon as I can. So how do you qualify them then? I mean, what sort of questions do you ask uh, this potential client, you know, like, do you pay on time? <laughs> no. Well, th- that that's a harder <laughs> one. But, but
0: yes, for me, of course
1: it, I do. For for me, it's I guess I do a little bit of background checks. I guess I, I vet them a little. Uh, I have a tendency to Google uh, new clients or new leads that come my way. Also, it's it's also based on the quality of the email itself. I will actually judge people by the the content and the quality of the language that they use. Um, perhaps that's fair. Perhaps that's not. But it's something I, I'll consider a little. But in a nutshell, it's just I, I vet them based on the information that's available to me. If I just have a name and an email, then I'll reach back out and I'll ask a few more questions be, via email before making a phone call because I want to make sure I want you to know a little bit more about them. And if they give me enough information, then I'll go search them on the net. If they haven't, then I'll try to collect a little so maybe I can search them on the net. Um And if they sound like they stand a reasonable chance, you know, greater than maybe 1% of being worth my time, then I try to get them on the phone. So most of the time, I try to get them on the phone.
0: I think it's interesting that we, we start talking about the sales funnel, and we more or less wind up skipping all the way to the end. Really? What do you mean? Halfway, yeah. I would agree. Half,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because there's the how do you get their attention in the first place? But that's well. Okay. For me, we well, talked about that recently because for me, it's a lot of it's talking at conferences, and we just mm-hmm. did that one. But that's me. That's not you. The rest. That's not you guys necessarily.
0: Yeah. I, I. I'm not. I'm not saying we're in the wrong place. I just think it's interesting that that's where we wound up going first, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's where your mind or you know some of us are thinking about things as, as far as just following up and. And being in that process, how, how frequently do you follow up? Cause, cause if we're going to talk, ah. if we're talking about this part, let's, let's go ahead and just talk about it. You know, how frequently yeah. do you follow up and, and what info, you know, we, we did talk about what information you need to advance them to the point where you're talking to them on the phone and starting to get to the point where you can finalize the, the contract.
1: Okay. So first I'll say, I tend to follow up about once a week uh, until I have some kind of stronger contact. But second, I want to, say that I would like to get to that part of the conversation that I guess I inadvertently jumped ahead of because this part I feel good with. It's the sale, the marketing to sales part that well, I guess we are starting to talk a little bit more about sales at this point, aren't we?
2: Yeah. I mean, let me, let me back up. I want to, I want I, w- I want
1: to get to the part before this. Right.
2: Yeah. Like I actually have process documents for this and I'll run through what they're called and that cool. kind of might give us some terms to hang on. So Basically, there's three parts. There's lead generation, which is basically creating interest for my services and get people to contact me. Second one is lead conversion, which is where I work with a potential client to turn them into a client. And the third is project delivery, which is actually doing the work and delivering it. So lead generation is kind of what we call marketing. Lead conversion, inside of that, there's like, I have lead filtering, like, can I help this person? You know, what you were talking about, Evan, about the questions to see. You know, are they reasonable? Is it going to be a good relationship? Um, I have a new client consultation system, which is probably close to yours, where I get them on the phone and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then I go into follow-up, and then it's basically, like, at that point, it's a proposal or a contract and, you know, pitching the sale at that point. Right. So that's my process, like an overview of it. doesn't sound all that dissimilar
1: from what I do. I just don't have a system per se.
0: I was going to yeah. ask, do Do you have a system for follow-ups and all that stuff, Evan? So, I guess you don't. I have,
1: well, I have a good memory for people. So, I tend to know which, when it comes to people, it's not usually a stress point for me to remember the open loops I have in terms of people who I, I owe contact to. So, I usually remember to ping on a lead that I've generated that I have
2: yet to convert periodically. And so you, you you have a system, it's just an ad hoc based on your memory and your how your personality works then yeah, it's that it's
1: it's ad hoc I don't think is quite fair, but yes, I have a system built around how I work,
2: or okay, not ad hoc, maybe like not documented or whatever
0: yeah, okay uh, Eric, it sounds like you have a much more documented or refined system, something that you've worked on for a while to yeah to do this sounds like it but
2: a couple of these are just to do's like i've never gotten through the whole thing like it typically ends up like i this last i started documenting the whole thing as i was working with a lead and then he just wanted to jump ahead and start working together so obviously i'm going to work with him instead of like no wait we have to slow down so i have the first part like the marketing and like filtering the leads all that stuff pretty well documented because i go through that a lot but the later stages like follow-up i just I, I Kind of like Evan, like every week or so, I kind of email them or call them, and it's very ad hoc for me. I don't really have any central thing around it, mostly because I the, haven't needed it.
0: Not I,
1: necessarily I've, all that different than me, except maybe you keep more documentation.
0: I found it really hard to keep track of all of the folks that um, fall into the category of leads at various stages. And so what I've started doing is I, I do all my email through uh, Google Apps, mm-hmm. and in my browser I have the Omnifocus plugin, whatever it is, that sends this page to the Omnifocus inbox. Hmm. And so what I do is I, I put it into my to dos is what I've started doing. And then I just make sure that I clear my to dos regularly. And if if it sits there for more than a week then then it becomes a critical thing that I have to do right away. And so that way I am following up every every few days to a week. With those with those uh, folks, but then it's not it's not regimented. They don't hear from me every seven days. It's when I get around to you know furthering the conversation, and it'll sure. be no more than a week.
1: So Eric kind of said something earlier that got me thinking that I I think I'm the one who often says that clients seem to come in in two categories. They're the kind that are raring to go right now, and then they're the kind that. Tend to be well. I guess so. I guess technically, I said clients. I should say leads. They come in three categories. Then the kind that are raring to go right now, the kind that are still trying to decide, and then the um, the kind that are going to decide against you or decide against you. Because the kind that are raring to go, they want to work with you right that second, and they skip your whole process, Eric, and they skip mine, too, basically. It's, okay, where do we sign the dotted line to go work on this project? And occasionally, I will get in the back and we go, whoa, 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 let, let's hear about this thing first to make sure that I'm actually a fit at all. I, yeah, not that I built,
2: that's a bad thing sometimes. So. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, if, if, if they just want to pay me, well, that's great. I just want to make sure that, that I'm the right person to take their money. Um, because, yes, that's something that matters to me. I know it matters to you guys, too. But what I think, for me, the, the interesting slash tricky part, and I think this is probably true for all of us, is that undecided group. The kind that where you've got the lead and it really it, it's a matter of of pulling them if you will deeper into your pipeline that you you're trying to get them closer to a conversion it's so it's i guess that's that's sales
3: yeah and i think you know from my perspective i always try to do whatever i can to leave them with the impression that that we're we'd be focused on their problems so whatever conversation i have i ask as much about what they do as I can and not say, well, I do this and I do that. So making sure that the conversation is always back on their, their needs, and then giving them suggestions like, you know. I would try looking at this, or if you're running into this problem, I would do that, or take Mm -hmm. a step back and think about it in a different way. And then they at least walk away from the conversation like, okay, this person was not only focused on my problem, but willing to offer assistance without trying to nickel and dime me. And I think just leaving that impression that you're not just going for their wallets, you know, or or just want to be heads down in the code and left alone and, uh, you know, that, that type of thing. I think being genuinely helpful before you've even signed on the dotted line, uh, is, has been beneficial.
1: Now, I, I concur, but I've also had, I had one lead who would take advantage of my tendency to do that, where I had at least four prolonged conversations, I mean, at least a half hour, more like probably an hour each, where this guy was trying seemingly to get something for nothing, where he was trying to get advice without having to pay anything. And I ultimately ended up referring him to someone else who we did actually do some work with a little bit here and there. But the, so th- what I'm trying to get at is, I, well, I completely agree with what you said, Jim. There's this fuzzy line where you have to be sure that, that you're not giving away the whole house.
3: Well, it's true. But I mean, I think you, you'll you probably admit this, but you probably made a mistake. You probably should have not had four conversations with him like that that were that long. You know, after the first one, maybe going into the second, you should say, well, Why don't we have a planning session? Why don't we start plotting out the path? Because, you know, we can talk about this so many times, but Mm -hmm. we have to actually do the work. And
1: no, I'll I'll admit it. This was a couple years ago when I was still newer at this. And he sounded interesting at the time. I would have probably, I probably would have velvet roped him sooner. I'm referring to uh, Book Yourself Salad, I think it is. I probably would have velvet roped him sooner because he was seeming to try to to get a lot for free. But for me, it's also uh, we've talked about this in other conversations too. Drawing a a, some kind of boundary of you know how much do you give for free? And I've said before that it varies by degrees based on the potential scope of the project too. If it's going to be a tiny project, you want to invest a lot upfront in winning the project. If it's going to be a huge project, how much are you willing? How much of your own time are you willing to risk to close it? Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Um, I, I want to, uh, unless there's something else that's critical to add to this, I want to move back a little bit to the, the marketing end of things where cool. people are coming into the funnel to begin with.
2: Well, there's one thing I want to add, because uh, Jim and Evan both kind of talked about, like, you know, you kind of stay focused on what the client needs or potential client, what they're talking about. I've done that in the past, and I still do that, but I also fo- try to bring up what my business needs, and that's part of, like, is my business the best fit for you? Like Mm -hmm. if the client's demanding an insane schedule, I can say like, look, as my business, I cannot service you in that need. And so the big things I want to make it clear to the client up front that I run a business too. It's not just you're, you know, hiring a warm body to type code. And I think kind of setting that right up front, like the first call is kind of a good thing. I don't worry about like, you need to pay me or, you know, I need to get days off type stuff, but more of the high level and I'm a business. It's not just a, an employee or you know a warm body.
0: Yeah, we're, I think we're that's talking a, about the fit, and and I think that goes more or less without saying. But yes, I'm glad you clarified it because we do need to make sure that people recognize that you know you want to make sure that you fit their needs in all those ways and not just in your capability yeah, that, to that's, write code.
1: That's a conversation I tend to have with them very early on, um, um, that qualifying them, or I should say, qualifying, qualifying myself for their project. First requires that I know what their project is, and then once I do and I know what their need date is, also something I ask about up front, and then I usually ask about their budget very early on too. I can very quickly figure out, is this something where they can afford me, one? Two, do I have the time for it? And then there's the question of am I interested and do they want to work with me? The am I interested part's purely on my side, really, but do they want to work with me is on their side.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's move into the marketing area and getting, getting people kind of in the door in the first place. Cause I feel like marketing is sort of everything up to the point where you start talking to them and trying to make the sale. So once they become a lead, mm-hmm. you're more or less into sales land. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a demarcation for everybody, but, uh, for the, for the sake of this conversation, let's just say that it's there. I'll buy it. So, yeah, um, that's, I
2: basically think of it as, you know, marketing is you're converting anonymous people that you have no clue who they are into someone, like whether it's a name, an email, a phone, whatever. It's the way for you to get in touch with them.
0: Yep. So what what kinds of things do we do to get people in the door in the first place? From my experience, um, at least as far as development
3: goes, I early on would get clients when I was doing a ton of radiant development a couple of years ago I would get people on the mailing list You know, it was open source work and I was active on the mailing list and um, I'd be helping people there and I would get calls that said hey it's so and so from uh, the radiant mailing list and I would of course act like oh yes I remember seeing your name even though there's you know, several hundred people on there and I didn't remember but I would get calls like that and so open source contributions have definitely helped but it's not just open source it's being active in a community so you might not contribute at all but contribute to the conversation in a community and people say oh, okay he knows what he's talking about you know, when we run into problems let's, he's on our short list uh, of, of talking to people
0: yeah, I've gotten Plus a one. little bit of work on an open source learning management system that's written by a company out here, and it's just because I'm on the mailing list. And it also helps that I know almost all of their development and support staff because I worked with them at a previous company. So that definitely works. I, I remember hearing Eric or Evan mention referrals, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's another good way of doing it. Do you usually go and try and I, – I don't want to use the word pump, but pump them – Pump people you know for referrals, or do you wait for them to sort of organically come up?
1: I ask periodically. Um, I go back to client to to good clients and or good former clients or even current clients, and I'll ask for referrals. Um, but it, it, it's not something I do that often. Besides, it's not like I've I've had a huge cadre of clients to to go ask. But I usually start with them, and then occasionally I ask other folks. But usually I, I I just wait for referrals to come in because they often come in based on um, my having run DCAMP or having spoken at a conference um, or occasionally some open source I've done
0: yeah I've gotten referrals also from other clients I've also gotten referrals from other developers who are on projects mm-hmm. that that need another you know dev and they think of me so yep gotten those two do, do you ever get any an, anonymous ones from, from your websites any of you guys
2: one or two I've, m- i one of my current clients I get a lot I mean I think it kind of goes back to what Jim was saying I did a lot in like the Redmine community for open source and so it got to a point where people would ask in the Redmine forums someone else in the community would recommend that potential client to me and so that potential client would come to me but they would come to me through my website so it's like the first time I hear about it's through the website but it's actually because of stuff I built up in other areas
0: so that's something that's interesting to me in the sense of optimizing your pipeline. Is that how how often do you know the circumstances under which you got the referral or somebody coming to your website?
1: I try to find that out for um, each lead that I get whenever possible. Uh, I don't always get an answer, but something, but. That's why I say that I'm sure that some of them have come from conference speaking because it sometimes has has come back to someone heard me speak and that person mentioned me to someone who said they were looking for a contractor. Um, the ones with where it's Decamp, I, I know the people already. Usually when it's my website, they've often just told me that. But uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but at least I try to to find out for
3: myself. You know, I haven't. And it's it's something that's just so simple. I really should. Every time somebody contacts me, just say, "How did you hear about me?" I, uh, I'm on a project now that I got through a recruiter, so that that can be good sometimes. Um, it's it was a difficult negotiation process because. recruiters are looking for, most of the time anyway, employees. So you sort of have to battle that. And um, it also changes the perspective on who you are. They think of you as an individual more than they think of you as a company. So if you you know if you're helping do staff augmentation and you're you're a part of the team rather than them like a, a client who sees you as a vendor and they pay you to build a product or build some features into a product, um, it's it's just a different relationship. So it depends on what you want to do, but recruiters are potentially a, a way to go as well. Can I go on a tangent and ask you a little more about that because
1: I've usually had miserable luck with recruiters. Granted, I don't give them a whole lot of a chance.
3: But how did so, that work yeah, out? <laughs> I think that that's the key. Um, it was a couple of years ago, a really, I didn't think much of it, but um, I came across a comment somewhere. I have no idea where. I don't even remember what the comment was. But essentially, the gist of it was, look, salesmen and women and recruiters, um, people who do that type of stuff constantly on the phone all day, are people too. And um, What?!
0: They they just don't have souls, Evan. That's
3: (laughs) oh okay okay. Thank you, Chuck. I feel better.
2: Well, the Um, thing is, is I'm married to one, so I kind of know they are people. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Just kind. You just kind of (laughs) know. Are you sure? (laughs) Pretty positively. He's he's (laughs)
0: married to one, and he can only kind of know that they're human. Well, (laughs) if you want to get on a tangent, if if they weren't human,
1: that would mean that that Eric's child is half human, like Spock.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's half human and half kind of human. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so I started just changing the way I responded to people. Like, even if I got, um, you know, telemarketing calls at home, I was still, I'd say, no, I'm not interested. And I, I wouldn't, you know, yell at them, even though sometimes you feel like that. Um there's still people I'd say, good luck, I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested. You have to repeat it. Um, but with recruiters, you know, sometimes I would just respond to people. I've gotten potential uh, projects and projects just by writing back to them and said, you know, you wrote to me in all caps. You really don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> why don't you try approaching it this way? And, and it just sort of starts the conversation where you're a person who they start to realize isn't like everyone else who wants to shut them out. And I think a lot of recruiters don't realize when times are good anyway, how developers see them. You know, the, like I, I'm one of the organizers of Arlington Ruby, and we've had people come there as well as DC Rug in the area. And we've had recruiters show up like, hey, can I, you know, come and say something? Sure, we'll give you time. And we had one recruiter come and say, I'm hiring for so and so. I'd love to talk to you about our projects we're doing X, Y, and Z. I'm going to leave my business cards
2: here. So and then a, you just got
3: I'm going to let you finish, but I'm going to ask you a question here.
1: When you got to negotiating the, 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 the you know, dotting I's and crossing a T's here in terms of money, are they paying you? And if they're not, how do they make money? Because that's what they're looking to do when they try to find you a gig.
3: Sure. Well, I, I see that as a, collaboration right like they're trying to fill a position and Uh i can help them do that so i think having that conversation is fine say look you you make money off of this so how can we figure out the best way to do um do some deal with a a a client now the way it worked out for me is i didn't have to really worry about it but the client was paying a flat fee to get uh somebody in um Ah, so Um that sort yeah, of it's flat fees and
2: sometimes percentage.
0: Yeah, I, I'm gonna jump in here because I, I got a job that I did what, ten, fifteen hours a week contracting through a recruiter. Kidding. Uh, no, I'm not kidding. He this was quite a this when did that contract end? Maybe six months ago or something? Yeah. Anyway, the the way that it worked out was that I would forward him a copy of my invoices and then he would invoice he would invoice the client for whatever percentage he was supposed to get paid. Uh, okay. And so that's the way that worked out. And he, he kind of specialized in, in Ruby on rails. And you can probably figure out who it is just by that. If you know, many of the rails recruiter folks. I know yeah. enough of them. Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that worked out pretty well, but you're right. Most of the time they're trying to fill a position. And so what I found they usually do with me is they're trying to, bring me in because, hey, you get a referral fee if we place somebody that you refer to us, and the other thing is, is I I usually don't blow them off or yell at them unless I can't understand them because they're from India or something, and I'm just like, look, I can't understand you, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we, we can't talk anymore because doesn't doesn't help, but usually I just tell them, look, I'm only interested in contract positions, um, I'm willing to travel for, for the first week or so of the project, but after that, I'm going to be working from home, and if you can make that work, then call me back. And of course, they never do. They take me to lunch sometimes, but that's about it. In fairness,
1: I say that I don't give recruits a chance or treat them like they're not human, but I, I do actually. It's just that being as remote as I am, it usually doesn't get very far. It's only when they're government con- government contracting recruiters that I tell them <laughs> that I would that I would sooner eat a bullet than work for the government. And then I've had a, a few really interesting conversations after I send them that email. And I do quite literally tell them that in email. Yep. But I digress.
0: So if we're talking about optimizing the sales pipeline or the marketing pipeline, I'm wondering, do you guys ever analyze the traffic coming to your website? Yep. A
1: little too much, I think, but yeah. Not enough. Just, oh, just my a, personal, personal site, not the business site.
0: So w- what do you look for, Evan? Or Eric? Sorry. <laughs> Whomever um, I am, whoever he is. <laughs> yeah, whoever's talking, what do you do?
2: No. Uh, I Okay, so this is more recent. I built a Sinatra app that basically reads a JSON file that I make by hand. But it tracks visitors to my site, the amount of people who have opened a newsletter, because I use newsletters for marketing. So the people who opened a newsletter for this month, the people who have contacted me, the people who I actually talked to and figured out that, yes, this is a potential client, and then the people that I close on, and then also the people that I don't close on for whatever reason. And so it's all metric-based and percentage of, you know, this much needs to go down in the funnel and all that. Like I said, overanalyzing a lot, but yeah.
0: Do you ever look at where the traffic's coming from or what uh, Google keywords or any of that – Do you use any analytics tools for that?
2: A little. I mean, I'm using Google Analytics like everyone else in the world. If there's a spike, I will see what the spike was about. Like, you know, if Hacker News sent a whole bunch of people on a day, I might look at keywords. But the thing is, I mostly use my blog. And my blog is seven years old, maybe longer. And I don't know how many hundreds of posts on there. So I get a regular steady traffic. It might not actually be, you know, potential leads, but I get enough traffic that looking at keywords and all that stuff is there's too much volume of data for me. And most of the time, like I said, it's like the numbers here, it's like maybe 1% will contact me if even that. And so, you know, if I dig into the analytics on kind of the front end of like, you know, X many thousand people visiting, I would get stuck there. I prefer to optimize the people that do talk to me, getting those people to either close or not. That's, that's a better number for me to optimize.
0: Yeah. I I was just, I was thinking, because it seems like the things that you want to do are basically increase the number of people coming to your website and then increase the number of people who are going to your contact page and entering information. And if you look at the analytics, sometimes you can figure out, okay, these are the things that people keep coming and looking for, and these seem to be the articles that more people are coming from to go to my contact page to whatever, and then and then try and figure out what the difference is and do some you know, write some other posts like those, or, you know, see if you can figure out what the X factor is for getting people in.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of will pick topics based on what I'm looking for. Like I'm doing a lot of testing stuff for this client. And so I might write a couple articles on, you know, high level testing kind of targeted at my potential clients to try to pick up another client like this one, but I don't really analyze it. It's more gut feel and also what I feel like writing about.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. So, I guess I basically
1: do – sorry, I was just going to iterate. I basically mm-hmm. do the same thing. That is that I end up – my my marketing, at least when it comes to blogging, is based on things I feel like writing about. So I don't give it as much thought. It's more what I want to share with the community, and maybe some of it comes back as marketing. But it's not really intended as that.
0: Uh, I can see that. But at the same time, it does pay off because you're writing about stuff that you care about. Right. It's all a form
1: of marketing because it's relative, relevant to what I do for a living, and I care about it.
0: And so – People, if they come in and they and they care about the same things you care about, then they're going to find those articles and eventually contact you one for one reason or another. So I want to I want to move on to another topic just because I'm, I'm curious about it. And um, Eric was the one to bring this one up. Newsletters. I should have one. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I, um, I I do not have one for potential client work. I have for years thought about doing one and I just never put it together. Sadly, um, I bet I would be better off had I done that. But for my book, it wasn't really until recently that I realized I needed to keep people engaged. You know, when they buy clean Ruby or they sign up for the mailing list, I just have content that I send out to them. And I'm still in the process of building that content as I write the book. But um, just keeping people engaged with helpful information and reminding them who you are, I think would be a very good thing. You know, especially if if clients hire you to either build products or to help uh, their teams get better at what they're doing. You just write content, you know, related to that and help them in their process, and they'll they will remember that they when they need help and have the budget or, or whatever it is, they'll give you another call.
0: Yeah, in fact, uh, my mastermind group. They they got on my case about that because I I was talking to them about some training online training that I was trying to get sold and I was I meant I was like well I mentioned it on the podcast but I didn't have very many people sign up and and they were all over look you got to have a, a newsletter because if they're listening to the podcast they're probably sitting in their car and they they're not in a position to look it up and go sign up if if you it's like a mode switch. Yeah, but if you put it in the newsletter, then they're sitting at their computer, they're checking their email or, you know, maybe even sitting in the doctor's office and uh, you know, and they may be on their phone or whatever device they listen to the show on. The difference is is that there's a link there and all they have to do is go click it and sign up. And uh, you know, so I can raise awareness on the podcast, but the the rubber really meets the road in the in the newsletter. And so Yeah.
3: And they're not likely to go for anything until they've heard about it a few times. It's, you know, it's pretty unlikely. And they say, like, have a need right then and there. Like, oh, my God, this solves my problem to to sign up and and buy, you know. But if if you're reminding them that it it exists, like, even people who have bought my book, they've, like, I've seen people say, yeah, I've been meaning to get around to that or I'm going to buy it for Christmas break so that I can read it then or something like that. So how do
1: you get people on your newsletter or, and and let me add a a related question that is for those people who don't really want to be on it, don't, do you feel bad
2: for sending them emails, even if you make it easy to unsubscribe? Well, realistically, if someone signs up to get on your newsletter, then they're going to want to hear from you. And from what I understand is when people unsubscribe is because they might not be interested in what you're writing about anymore, or maybe they Got on it and was expecting something different, and uh, for the most part, in almost every case I I've, I've seen personally, they weren't my target market customer. Like if there wasn't a right fit there. They might have got on it and like expected me to talk about pearl or whatever, but I'm talking about ruby. And so I don't know. Like I've never really had problems with that, and you know, I, it's it's not a requirement too. Like you're not saying you have to get on my newsletter in order to buy my stuff. So so I guess more specifically,
1: are are you so I. You guys, so it's just you and Chuck who have the newsletter. Uh, I gather that both you guys are explicitly asking people to sign up, and that's the only way you get them in the newsletter. You don't just add people automatically somehow.
2: Oh yeah, you can't. Yeah, definitely not. That's illegal, I, or can spamish whatever it is. Because I, for for being illegal, I still get a lot of it.
0: Yeah the 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 only <laughs> way that I mean. So
1: I well, use my Viagra
2: a- sales are going very well.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it,
2: Jeff. Mine dipped a bit last month, but oh yeah, anyways. <laughs> Tell me how to They're get in, it in on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the spam is one thing, but as far as the actual newsletter mailing lists, I mean, you're usually using a service like Mailchimp or Aweber. Um, I ha- I use Aweber. I happen to like it a lot. the The cool thing about them is that you, by default, have a double opt in. So even if you put their name on your list. They still have to opt into the list in order to get it. Oh, cool. Okay, and so Did you if, link
1: that service. I didn't hear what you had mentioned.
0: Yeah, I'll give you. I'll put an affiliate link into the show notes.
1: Okay, um, so you make lots of money off of it.
0: Uh, I don't make a lot of money <laughs> off of it, but, but I do appreciate what money I can get from it. Anyway, um, but but it's nice. So it, you have the double opt in just built in, and it, it it works out well. So if they're not expecting it. And they don't read the email, then it'll look like spam and they just, they're done. You know, they just ignore the email. They don't get signed up for the list. If they if they do see it coming, either because they've signed up on your website or uh, because you've told them that it's coming or they just look at it and go, oh, this is a list I want to be a part of, then there you go. Then they'll, yeah, and then it's they'll all, click the link and opt in.
2: It's all based on your content. Like for my my main blog one, I, I've been slacking on it, but basically... I ask people to opt in and what I do is I send them either, Hey, I just wrote a new blog post to my blog, which has some information, but here's some other stuff. I didn't want to actually make public on the blog. So it's like bonus content. Yeah. Or, um, I've had a couple of posts in the past that were everyone loved, but they're from a year back. So new blog readers won't see them. So I use my mailing list to say, Hey, if you haven't seen this, here's a post I did. A lot of people liked it. And basically, you know, here's the great content that I have. Here's the great things I have that are free. If you haven't seen it, check it out. And so I use that. And then another list I have, I actually helped kind of via email train people on how to do refactoring in Ruby. And so it's, I don't know, eight or nine emails that kind of step through different parts. And basically, it's like I'm kind of pitching my book like, hey, if you want to learn more, buy my book. But it's also you can just get those emails and learn how to do stuff and go off and do it on your own. So it's the content's the big thing about like, you know, is this a spam or is someone actually want this content?
0: Yeah, I I forgot to mention the autoresponders, and that is definitely a powerful way to go. Sometimes it's also a good way of incentivizing people to sign up. Sign up and you'll get these nine emails about this. But yeah, there's the the payoff too of um, they sign up and they get content right away. And uh, you make that connection and you can solidify it without really having to do anything because you've already written those emails.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the big part of why I'm using more and more newsletter stuff is you have a better connection with people. I mean, it's not anonymous people now. You can actually, you know, when you contact them, it's in their inbox, they can reply back. And I've sent out emails to my newsletter saying, Hey, I don't know what to write about. What do you want me to write about? And we'd get 30, 40 ideas that I'd go and write. You know, this is like stuff people actually want to hear. And so it's, it's a, I I call it like a tighter feedback loop than just putting something on your blog and kind of hoping that someone comments.
0: Well, and it's really easy for people to fire back a response because you set the reply to address and you just say, hey, this is what I want. And, you know, it's not this big, long conversation. They just take two seconds and give you a reply. So I I, I really, really like it. I mean, all in all, it's a terrific way to go. And, um, you know, once you have somebody in there, then it's easy to Like we said before, engage with them uh, again and again. It's just another way of doing that as opposed to like having them subscribe to your blog's RSS feed or listen to your podcast or whatever. If they're not committed to those things, an email newsletter is a low impact way of still keeping in touch.
2: Yeah. And to kind of cycle this back to like the lead optimization stuff, I haven't done this idea yet. Like I started on it and then got busy with a new client, but I'm going to get, or I'm getting to the point where if someone wants to work with me and they're not ready, raring to go, and they're kind of like, Hmm, I'm not sure yet. I'm basically going to start sending them to my newsletter and say, look, you're not ready. Check out some of the stuff I do. See some of the work I do when you're ready, you can contact me back. And so basically use my newsletter as the follow-up system for them and to kind of build up the, like the build up their trust in me. And so it's, you know, it's kind of that, you know, keep in touch, show that I know what I'm doing, show that I'm an expert But it's not something I have to do all the time. And then if they're ready or not, they can, you know, if they're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to work with Eric. He's not going to be able to help. They can unsubscribe. Or if they are ready, they can reply to me and we can start the whole, like, let's start talking about your project for next week type thing.
1: And it's one less thing you have to keep track of then.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I this other idea, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to do it, but I've even considered that I won't work with a client unless they've subscribed to my newsletter and seen the free stuff I already have out there. You know, if they're going to be paying me X dollars... That's, you know, I want to make sure that they're taking advantage of the stuff I've already given away. And that's the sketchier idea.
1: Part of one or two crazy outfits that does something like that, that you have to have some kind of relationship with them already before they'll even consider working with you. Not, I think maybe it was just one. And unfortunately, I can't remember. So this is all completely anecdotal. Sorry.
2: Cool story, bro.
0: Thanks, man. Well, (laughs) sometimes it's funny because... sometimes the uh, relationship that they have with you is totally one-sided. Like you have no idea who they are, but they've been consuming your content for, for weeks. And so, consuming content. (laughs) So, so then when they come to you, they feel like they already know who you are and uh, that, that can be the relationship that, that makes the difference.
2: Right. And it's just building up that trust between you and them. And, you know, you'll have to learn a little bit about them because it's been one-sided, but, That's something you can kind of do. And typically, it's easier for freelancers to research an established business than it is for a business to research a freelancer just based on volume of information. Mm -hmm.
3: So I'm curious, like, if you're going to do autoresponders, you know, you say to somebody, um, you got to sign up here before we go forward. What do you have prepared? You know, especially if you have... Clients who hire you for different reasons. Like someone hires you to build a product for them. They might be thinking in terms of product, and other people hire you to help them be more agile and manage the team better. And then they think about those things. So, you know, as far as content goes,
2: how do you juggle that? Magic. I mean, I (laughs) I have this problem. I'm not very focused. I have tech ADD, or sorry, nerd ADD. That's the proper term. Um, but for me, I'm trying to like define, like, this is the ideal client that I work with. And so I'm going to try to write stuff, make things for them. And it might not actually apply to every other one of the clients I have. Like, so in your case, Jim, I know you do dev, but you also do design. I think we talked about this somewhere, but you know, yeah, you could structure your site and your content around. I can do a and B and C and D, but you might get a stronger response to say, I do a and the people who want B, C, and D still might be motivated to contact you about other stuff, and so it's just well, it's sure.
1: The, 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 the lack of the, the focused offering will make it easier, I guess, for make people more willing to actually read what you have to say, rather than when you have to say a lot and they have to feel like they might have to read all of it. Yeah, it's strong.
0: And you could yeah. you could conceivably set up landing pages for the different areas that you cover, and then have separate newsletters for each one. Exactly, My. and like
2: for me because. I have products in different areas, but I have – actually, it's open here. I have – it looks like about 11 different mailing lists. I have, like, my general Ruby Rails one. I have one for – I have a couple for refactoring. I have a couple for the HR products, a couple for writing e-books. And so the whole point is, depending on what someone's interested in and where they came in from – they're going to get different messages, different content, and that's going to funnel into you know, however I want. I don't have doing that, but, you know, like I did a webinar about Redmine a while ago. In that webinar, I gave them different things than I give my normal list, but eventually they kind of merge into one. And if they're interested about Redmine, they would contact me. Mm-hmm. How often are you writing on these mailing lists? I mean, these newsletters? I was trying to do add to a month, like two like quote emails a month. The way it's set up, like what Chuck's talking about, it's autoresponders. So it's not actually like, you know, it's a November newsletter. It's I'm basically adding stuff on the end of a a stack or whatever. And so people who just sign up are getting the very beginning. Right. And so it's, you know, I think I have like a 14-day delay on most of it. But it's the kind of thing, though, if you spend a week and write, you know, 10 emails and load it up, if you send them out once a month, that's 10 months of stuff done. And you never have to touch it again.
0: Yeah, one other thing that I'm doing or I'm going to start doing with uh, the different shows that I do is I'm going to have a mailing list for each one. Um, I'm going to do what I've seen some other people do, and that's basically the newsletter isn't like this big structured thing. 90, or 90% or ninety of it will already be done because it's like, you know, here here's a thanks for our sponsors. Um, here's a product or something that I want you to see. Here is a an episode you know that's a year or more old that I think you would enjoy and uh, then uh, I'll, I'll just have a hey here's here's what we talked about in the latest episode, you know be you know be ready to see it you know, and maybe give them a sneak peek on some of the pics or something. but all of the stuff except for the hey, here's what we talked about in the last episode will be done. And all I have to do is write a few paragraphs saying, hey, here's what we talked about. Here are the parts that, that I liked. You know, here's why I'm excited for you to have it. And then just send it out.
2: Yeah. And I've, um, the other podcast I'm in, we, we're we trying to do that. So like, you know, new episodes out. It's not just an RSS feed and it pops up in iTunes, but you get an email of kind of a summary of what it is or if there's like bonus things or whatever. Yeah. And I've actually, for Chirk, I've actually taken like, I'll read some HR blog, find an amazing blog post. I'd take that, write, you know, maybe a paragraph about why I think it's amazing or kind of an, an additional idea and make that an email. So I would say, hey, I read this post, go read it now. When, you, when you're when you done, come back to this email and read kind of a, a slant on it or a variant of it. It's like, you don't have to write all of your content, especially like, I mean, it's old school sharing style, like, you know, before social networks came around.
0: Yeah, but the... I, I subscribe to one newsletter that is effectively it comes out like every week or two, and and he's basically hey here's what I did here's what I was thinking about and it's no more than like five or six paragraphs. Thanks, uh, you know, and then the guy's name Justin and you know all the, you know basically his credentials and so it's really just a convenient way of him keeping in touch with all of the folks that he's interacted with.
3: So I think uh, something good to cover would be, um, what should I do? You know, like people are listening, and I, especially when I hear interesting things that people are doing with their businesses, um, I'm at a point now where I need to optimize my my sales pipeline or I need to improve it. What are some things that I should do to figure out how do I get to a better step, you know, tomorrow?
0: So one thing that I recommend to people is that figure out where you want people to wind up and to wind up as a client is not an answer because it's too vague. So well, it's also
2: you need a high volume to get one
0: client too. Right. So basically what it comes down to is, okay, let's say that your the place you want them to wind up is on your website, on your contact page. And, and I highly recommend that you not just have a contact page, but that you make it easy to figure out how to get a hold of you on the website. But let's just say that that's where you want them to go. So... You want them to wind up on that contact page or to call you on the phone off of the website. Okay? So you have that focus. You want them there. So then what you do is you you say, okay, well, what's the next level up? Well, from the contact page, you know, it, it makes it really easy for people to get to the contact page if I put a link to it on other places on my webpage. You know, on my blog or on my website or on my podcast site or however, on the landing pages. So then you do that, and, and this is just an example. I mean, if you want them to be, you know, to contact you in another way or go some other way, then then that's what you get. But So then you move up from there. Well, how do I get that? Well, you do, you know, you put it on Twitter and you put it on Reddit and you you figure out where people are, are looking for that content. Um, figure out, and and then you can start to analyze it and say, okay, well, it seems like most of the people who come into this kind of article are the ones that are making it all the way through. Um, You can set up landing pages and see what you can do there. But you kind of have to build this strategy, and it really depends on who your target audience is as to how you build it from, I want them on my contact page all the way up to, you know, they're going to find my content or find my website or find somebody who knows me, you know, often on the other end. Because it may turn out that you're handing out a business card at a conference. Or, yeah, I think, or I think like that's... That. So you have to really, know who you want to find, how to find them, and then where you want them to end up, and then connect the dots.
3: I think that's really good insight. Well, one of the other things that came to mind as you were talking about you know, figuring out where you want them to go is... Uh, I wrote a bit about this in a blog post I had about selling my book, where... Uh, I was shocked to find that even though I was writing these blog posts, and for years I've been writing blog posts that are relevant to people, but they just lurk out there and read them, um, I added a email sign-up form, like, hey, if you want to find out more, sign up here, I'm going to write a book about this. And I couldn't believe that people were actually signing up, because I would not get many comments on my blog post. So I thought maybe people came and then they just disappeared, but people were far more willing to just say, all right, you know, I'll toss my email in the hat, just send me your stuff and I can always unsubscribe. And, uh, I thought it would be easier to comment and to engage, but sometimes people just don't want to do that. Just send me your email. Um, so I, I I actually need to do this myself just make a, a business one. So if I'm writing about, you know, things that are relevant to my clients that are maybe are not technical, that are not related specifically to my book newsletter, um, just sign up here and I'll, you know, send, send you content.
0: Yeah. People aren't going to contact you either until they've had repeated exposure. Um, almost all of the clients that I've had, it's either been a referral from somebody that they trust or it's been, Hey, I watched a whole bunch of your videos or listened to a whole bunch of your shows and then decided to call you up. And so if, again, if it comes down to that contact page, you know, you put it in your newsletter, you put it in your videos, you put it in your podcasts or whatever, you know, as appropriate, obviously. But yeah, you you maximize the exposure and then you maximize their exposure to, you know, you make it easy for them to get to that place.
2: Well, the other thing to think about, it, it's kind of gradual, like you're saying, Jim, like for tech people, posting a comment is not a big deal. I mean, we all have discuss accounts, we all have Open ID or whatever. It's just a text box. But for general people, like that's, they're writing something on the public internet. That's actually a fear that people have. So signing up for email, it's, oh, they're not writing anything. They're just putting their name in there. They're going to get into the list. And then the next step, if they actually reply to your email, that's still a private conversation. They don't have to worry about, you know, in five years, this conversation being public. And I don't get very comments on very many comments on my blog, but yet I get tons of replies whenever I send out an email. And then on Twitter, I get tons of replies on there. And it's just, I think it's the commitment factor. And it's like, I don't know if I necessarily want to commit to writing a comment and having everyone who sees this page see my comment. Hmm. Yep.
0: So, and, and it's interesting because when we, when we do a lot of this stuff, we're thinking from the perspective of, oh, well, what would I do? But ultimately, if we're trying to provide a service to business people who can't code themselves their own website in Rails, I mean, they're, they're a completely different demographic and we have to be able to cater to that. And I think that's a lot of what um, Eric is saying. And so we, we you, you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware of the steps that they're willing to take to get there and not necessarily the steps that you would like them to take or you think that would be convenient for them to take.
2: Yeah, like I know, Evan, you do a lot of startup stuff. So in general, startup audi- tech startup audience is going to be more sophisticated. They will probably be more likely to leave comments or talk about on Hacker News But, like, for me, if I'm targeting the HR audience, like, there's not going to be very much public discussion at all. Yeah, very different users.
0: Yep. All right. Well, I think we've uh, actually gone almost a full hour talking about this, and we need to get into the picks. But I want to make sure that we've covered everything. Are there any other aspects or anything that we want to talk about before we jump over to picks?
2: Well, there's one thing I want to do because this is optimization and it's marketing optimization. So it's it can be scary. If you don't do anything at all, start with, kind of like what you were saying earlier, Chuck, figure out what you want people to do. Like figure out your ideal pipeline, like the steps someone would take. And to get started, focus on one of them, probably one of the earlier parts of the steps, and figure out what you can do to optimize that one. Because basically as, you know, just in development, as you optimize one method call, it's going to make the overall thing get better and get faster. And so pick something small, start with one and try to be, you know, programmatic about it and try to say like, okay, I'm going to work on this stage, improve it by 10%. And then I might come and work on a different stage. And you just iterate over that. And eventually you get to a point where like, yeah, I'm happy with my marketing now.
0: Yeah. One thing I want to point out though is that it's very hard to optimize something if you're not measuring it. So if you know what the next step, di- step is, for example, if it's from reading a post on my blog to signing up for my newsletter, you know, measure that. Measure how many visitors you're getting and measure how many of those are signing up for your newsletter. And then, you know, play with it, tweak it. See if, you, you know, if you move it up higher on the page or change the colors or put an image behind it or whatever, but figure out, you know, these different changes and see what works to make that better if you're not measuring that you won't know it anyway let's let's do the picks eric what are your picks
2: okay so i have one pick and then i'll add one based on this discussion so one pick that i've used actually today and past couple weeks is browser stack basically lets you run multiple browsers and os's in a browser Uh, it's great for basically testing ie stuff you know, and what version of IE do you want? IE 6, 7, 8, that sort of idea. Uh, it's paid service. It's pretty inexpensive. I think you can get like half an hour free. But like just today, I loaded up IE 8 and IE 9 for a client and ran our Jasmine test just to see like, is stuff really broken or is it just partially broken? And it's a great service. You don't have to mess with having, you know, Windows VMs or Windows licensing or even having hardware around. So I recommend it. It's been really nice for me. Like it. And then... My second pick based on this conversation, it's the CRM tool I use. It's called pipeline deals. I've looked at a lot of them. This is a simple one. I basically track context. So in this point, it's, I guess, considered leads. I'll track if they have projects for me. I'll track what the stages are, where they heard of, where they heard of me from all that stuff. And it has some nice reports and actually sends out stuff every Monday or actually every day and also like every Monday. So I can kind of keep track of who should I follow up with this week so that's Pipeline Deals and I'll give you a link in the show notes cool
0: Evan what are your picks I'm full of fail I got nothing Jim what are your picks
2: terrible terrible
3: Evan I have one pick because I couldn't think of any picks and that is (laughs) 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 sadtrombone.com now what does that do I'm seeing this is better than mine (laughs) (laughs) it's it's better than Evan's because I actually gave you something does it you just didn't play hear it. it. It plays this.
0: Alright. I, I just clicked play too. You guys couldn't hear it, but it went into the recorder, so Oh Danny. Um, yeah,
2: we're having a really good picks day. <laughs> I am. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Well
0: I have got a couple <laughs> well, of okay. picks. I've got a couple of picks. I'm pretty sure I've picked some of these before, but I'm just gonna share them again because they're relevant to this. The first one is get clicky. .com. I like it better than Google Analytics and it it's just it's easier for me to read. It gives me all the information I want. It's basically in real time and um, it'll actually tell you how many people are on your website at a given time and things like that. It's it's really, Google really Actually
1: cool. Google Analytics as it turns out does that. I wouldn't quite make this a pick, but I bought a Nexus 7 lately to use as a book reader because it's well it's better than the Kindle Fire. And it costs about the same. And the analytics app on there actually tells you how many people are on
2: your site at any given time. Yeah, Google added that recently. GetClicky's had it for a couple of years, if I remember.
0: Yep. So I I like GetClicky, so I recommend them. Another one that I'm going to pick, and I've already mentioned them, is AWeber. So if you're looking to create a newsletter, they have a whole bunch of templates and stuff that you can use. Uh, or you can just put your own HTML in there, and and that works too. So uh, I, I I like their stuff. It works pretty well. And uh, my last pick is something that I figured out I could do with my iPhone. Um, I got an iPhone. Make 5. phone calls. I, I got an iPhone five by the way. No, it's uh, the ever. Oh, it does do phone calls actually. <laughs> really? S- Sorry, my my brain totally just skipped over that and then came back to it. Phone calls. There's an app for that. <laughs> anyway, um Omnifocus on the iPhone. Yes. It has this little feature that you can turn on that when you create a reminder with it Siri goes
1: into Focus. I, it I, goes in Omnifocus. I you know I I, I love it. I mentioned that one several episodes ago so you're welcome. I do it that that's what I use my that's basically what I've been using Siri for more than anything else is I create reminders and they go in Omnifocus. I do it when I'm driving a lot.
0: Yeah, I do that too. And it's funny because I've had this thing for like two weeks, and I'm addicted to Siri and (laughs) OmniFocus. It's the way it worked out. only Siri actually
1: worked worth a
2: darn.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's really hard to get it to figure out what you're talking about. But uh, most of the time it's close enough. And so I just let it suck it into <laughs> OmniFocus. And if it bugs me when I'm looking at my to-dos later, I'll fix it.
1: Right. It's okay. So I could, I just said, right. But I can look at the, the reminder and go, okay, this was Siri misunderstanding when I said blah. Yeah. Which is most of the time. It's really pretty bad.
0: It is bad. but it.
3: I realized I so have handy. a pick. You have a pick? I have a pick. I forgot about it. Um, have any of you seen the Pop app? Um, it's, it's popapp.in, uh, and it's, it's for, uh, designing, uh, interactive. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 I read about this one.
3: Go on. Really cool app. Um, you basically just sketch out a, a screen, like for doing iPhone, you know, click throughs or something like that, uh, and take a picture of it with the app. And you can set areas to be clickable, and then you can take a picture of the next screen. And so you can just literally sketch something out. You don't have to do, go to a computer and, uh, you know, do... I know people like Balsamic and, and things like you that. Can wire you
1: wireframe oh. your application via, via drawings.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if you know, you can re- write it down wherever you are, and when you get back or you, you grab your phone, you can actually make it clickable. So, really cool app. Nice. It's free,
1: I remember, which is utterly wild. So there's basically no reason not to, to try it.
3: Yeah, it's free, and then I think they'll have like a syncing service, so you can you know store so many app, I don't know what they call them, projects or something. And then if you That's, want more,
1: that um, really, how they expect to make money off of it? Okay, that, that seems like pretty startup. cool. I mean. <laughs> yeah, they've got. And apparently, I, had, I hadn't looked at the website. I just read a little bit about it somewhere else, but they've got some really nice demos of it and uh, animated, I guess, gifts on the website.
0: Wow, cool. Yeah, it's a good pick. All right. Well, you interrupted me, but I was done, so
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let you finish. I, I sensed it coming.
0: You could feel a disturbance in the force, huh?
3: <laughs>
1: exactly. No, no, no. The Star Wars quotes are all mine. <laughs> Apparently. Yep. Right.
0: Alright, well, uh then we'll wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week. And uh thanks for listening. Here's a sad trombone to send us away.
1: <laughs> sad trombone.
0: That's awesome.